Hello and happy Sunday. It must be 8 a.m. and it is time for what? Weightless in mind, body, and spirit. So let's hear our countdown and our theme song and let's get ready to roll. I am so excited. Say you're full of greatness. greatness. Time you opened up your eyes, you were courageous. courageous. If only they could see you going through your paces. Mm. It's amazing. Weightless. No matter what people say, you're full of greatness. Time you opened up your eyes, you work away. If only they can see it going through your paces It's amazing Weightless Matter what people say You're full of greatness Time you open up your eyes You were courageous If only they can see you going through your paces It's amazing Well, welcome and good morning. Yours truly, Dr. Carol Penn, proud hostess of Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit, where we explore topics related to your health, and we also re- explore topics weighted to our emotions, our spirituality, because we are what? Striving to be weightless in mind, body, and spirit. And I am so honored to be doubly board certified in family medicine, obesity medicine, and your master movement meditation and mindset coach. Now three-time best-selling author, like who could imagine this life? It is so wonderful. And then who can imagine having friends and colleagues that are uplifting humanity and expanding the consciousness of humanity across the globe. And that's what our show today is about as we explore the topic of weighted and the U.S. imperial educational system and teachers and teaching and how this has all impacted us. And we really see so many systems being dismantled. And one of the systems that's been on the forefront, right along with medicine, has been our educational system. So we're going to take a deeper dive into that today. And in the meantime, you all are so involved and so wonderful. We just love this audience. Go ahead, say hello in the chat, drop it in the chat. Let us know where you're from. So we can say hello to you. And of course, we want you to be interactive. And I know today you're going to have a lot of questions. So welcome, Linda Parker Edwards. Good morning, hashtag Meditation Nation. 
Welcome, Nick Lee. Super excited to be with you. Hello from Wisconsin. Yes, Nick. Welcome, Marianne. Good morning. A new show intro. Nice. Yes. Thank you to Kenny Brazil Hamilton for that beautiful introduction. Good morning and welcome, Rebecca. Yes. Hashtag Meditation Nation. Good morning and welcome, Victoria. Yes, it is so good to have our peeps back in the house. And we are excited. New York is in the house. Wisconsin's in the house. Good morning, Carla, and welcome. New Jersey's in the house. Delaware's in the house. Florida's in the house. We are indeed national. So I am going to bring my guest on. And before we do introductions, we are going to open the space. We're going to connect this space. So we are going to begin with a land acknowledgement. Then we are going to open and welcome each other. And then the introductions will come because it is about connecting. And as one of our guests will be telling us it is about this deeper connection with our relations, with our relatives, and we are all each other's relations and relatives. So without further ado, I am going to stop hiding these amazing women, and today it, it does all happen to be women, and we will begin. So we have here locally from New Jersey, Miss Claire Garland, and she's beautiful. We welcome her. We're just so excited that she is joining us. We have from the Dakotas, I believe, South Dakota, or is it North Dakota? We have Edwina Fire Thunder Brown Bull, our dear relative and sister. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pine Ridge Reservation. We have also right here in New Jersey, Atlantic Highlands. So we have several areas of New Jersey represented. We have Dr. Elizabeth Etram, and we welcome her. She is the author of the book that sparked this whole thing. And we have my dear sister friend, colleague, my relation and our relation, Dr. Kathy Farah. So Wisconsin is in the house for sure. So again, this beautiful national panel. So Dr. Kathy, would you please begin us on our journey and bring in this community that has gathered to watch us with our land acknowledgement? Thank you, Dr. Carol. And, uh, and I do acknowledge my relatives, some whom I just met this morning on the screen. And so I really just invite everyone, I'd like to actually bring us into the breath, if that's okay, Dr. Carol, yes. um, because the breath really is um, universal, right? It has no language. Um, I breathe the air you breathe and all around the world. So if you would uh, just join with me and us and just uh, settle into your breath for a moment this morning. Uh, some of us who it's a little earlier, I not sure I'm going to close my eyes because I might not open them. Um, but uh, if you do feel like you want to close your eyes, that's fine. And just settling into our breath. For me, that gives me an opportunity to give thanks for the breath this morning. And perhaps feeling your feet on the floor. For me, I feel the feet on my feet on the floor. 
my feet on the earth. And then I, it gives me an opportunity to reflect on the land that I sit on, that my feet will rest on this morning. Give thanks for that as well. And for me, that's the land of the Ojibwe. And so I have a big gratitude for those that tend to the land long before I did. And perhaps each of you in your own way would like to also acknowledge the land that you sit, play, live, work on. And as we acknowledge that, perhaps even you may wish to acknowledge those that were brought to this land, not by any choice of their own, and have made this land their home. And also folks that chose to come here in search of a better life, perhaps fleeing from something or moving towards something. And together we share this breath. And we share all that it is that makes us relatives. perhaps joining in the efforts to bring truth. As uncomfortable as it may be. And then just a few more breaths, knowing that we can return to this breath anytime that discomfort may come over us. As we acknowledge truths, And another breath. If your eyes are closed, you may wish to open them as we join together. Thank you. Oh, that was beautiful. We're going to continue as we open the space to each other. So I just invite the panel and everyone who's watching, go ahead and cross your arms right over your chest. And we... Just give yourself a squeeze, a hug, and send some gratitude right from yourself to yourself into your own heart. You showed up this morning. You're here. You're here to do a great thing, and that's connect with a community, and that's a great thing as we create and we deepen relationship. Open the arms just slightly, leaving the upper arms attached to the sides of the body, and just look around. So for us, we are looking into the Hollywood Square, and we are creating and opening the circle between all of us and all the people that have joined to watch us this morning, and feel that in this time of social distancing. We don't have to be emotionally distant. Raise the arms a little bit higher. And there we think of and we acknowledge our teachers and our teachable 
moments, connecting right now. We are all each other's teachers. Raise the arms a little bit higher. And we think of and we acknowledge our lineage, our personal ancestors, whether it be our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, and many generations before that. We are standing upon the shoulders of many and where we need to presence forgiveness. We also presence forgiveness even forgiveness of ourselves. And finally, we reach all the way up. You can go up and you can look up, thanking the God of your understanding and connecting to the Father Sky and Mother Earth, seeing the moon, the sun, the stars, and knowing that we are the same carbon atom of which they are made, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We are all a part of the infinite possibility of the universe. And we are grateful. And we're here. And because we're here, we're here and we're making a difference. And that is such a beautiful thing. So I'm going to, first of all, say thank you for everyone who's participating. Continue those of in our audience, if you know in your own land acknowledgement, or if you have Native American ancestry and you want to go ahead and drop that in the chat, let us know. Call the names. Let's remember and be present. Be conscious to that, that we, we're never alone. There's always these beings surrounding us. And so I am going to introduce my first guest, Dr. Elizabeth Etram, teaches women's history, U.S. history, and human rights history at Rutgers University, Newark, as well as women's and gender studies at Georgian Court University. Teaching Empire, I have my copy right here. Everybody can see that. You can see with, with my notes that I'm writing about it. It's her first book, and it was published in October 2019 by the University Press of Kansas. The book rose out of her personal doctoral dissertation, which she completed at Rutgers University, New Brunswick, in 2015. Elizabeth also holds a master in human rights from Columbia University, a master's in teaching from Quinnipiac University, and a bachelor in history from the University of Virginia. She has taught middle school in Connecticut, Washington, D.C. and New Jersey, and her teaching experience informs how she approached the book. Elizabeth has also written and been published on topics including racial reckonings and violence in the U.S., COVID-19, among Native communities, gun violence in the U.S., and several book reviews. She resides in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey, where she and her husband are raising their three children. By the way, I believe the journey to this uh, doctoral thesis was about a 10-year journey that included giving birth to those three children. So welcome. Welcome, Dr. Elizabeth. You know, I'm telling you, if you need it done, what happens when a woman gets involved and a woman gets determined? She's a daughter of determination and we welcome her. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So Let's jump right in. So your title, Teaching Empire, Native Americans, Filipinos, and U.S. Imperial Education, 1879 to 1918. So right there, for me, the title was provocative. I remember, you know, learning bits and pieces about this concept of U.S. imperial education and teachers being used to impose and colonize um, white-centered, European-centered culture 
on other people's. And I remember, you know, you know, being shocked by that, not understanding. I was a kid who loved school. And, and, and when I heard your talk a couple of weeks ago here in New Jersey at the T Thomas fortune cultural center, it, it just, I said, you know what? We need to talk about this as we look at how the pandemic has impacted education globally, as we look at how the uh, pandemic has impacted marginalized communities. I think a lot of people don't understand the complexity of the relationship between teachers, education, colonialization, and how in some ways it has caused great harm. And at the same time, it's good to be able to add two plus two and know that equals four. So tell us a little bit about your story and your perspective. How did you go down this pathway? Sure. Thank you. Um, and thank you to the whole panel for being here. I feel honored to be a part of uh, a panel of you know such esteem and, and perspective. Um, yes, the project started as part of my dissertation in my doctoral program in history. And um, I'd come across, uh, you know, I am an educator. I taught middle school for several years. And no matter where I went, I kept coming back to education. <laughs> I kept, that kept being my draw. And so when I was you know, working and trying to figure out what to study, I had learned of these two and other sort of imperial projects that the United States became involved in around the turn of the 20th century. And I wanted to know why were, not only did, why did, you know, why did the country, why did the United States policy send American teachers into these places, but what were the experiences and motivations of the teachers who were engaged in these projects? And the two projects that I look at, one is teachers who were sent to the Carlisle Indian School, which is in Pennsylvania, which is the first federally funded off-reservation boarding school. Uh, this was founded in 1879 and closed its doors in 1918. And then the second project I looked at was um, beginning in 1901, the United States recruited hundreds as they tried to recruit a thousand in its first year, didn't quite get there, but close hundreds and hundreds of American teachers to go to the Philippines. And, um, and in both cases, the goal was to assimilate, to acculturate uh, native peoples, Filipino peoples to um, the dominant culture to white culture to you know what was uh, sold as being citizen you know being how to be a proper citizen and in democracy um, and so you have this uh, so I was wondering why were teachers signing up for this what did they want to do what did they hope to accomplish what were their experiences and then of course with that is comes the the resistance and the resilience of people refusing to be silenced, refusing to be, um, to you know, losing their culture. Now, of course, uh, many people, it's become even more public knowledge outside of Native communities in, in recent years about the devastation that some of these boarding schools uh, imposed on Native peoples. Um, and the Philippines stories is really quite incredible as well uh, with American teachers being sent during wartime and many of them, some of them even having to pick up arms to protect themselves or protect their villagers, um, et cetera. And so they, many of the teachers stepped into something that they weren't quite anticipating. Um, at the same time, many of the teachers strongly believed in their mission. They strongly believed that they were quote unquote saving 
peoples that they viewed as backward, right? And so um, it, it is from a 21st century perspective, sometimes this becomes hard to understand, but um, you know, hard to see it as anything other than sort of a, a racially motivated thing. But one of my advisors and, and people on my dissertation committee said, she and she does Native American scholarship. And she said, I be careful not to simply demonize the teachers. This is much, uh, you know, there's there's gray here. Um, and so we had those conversations about this isn't about, you know, evil and good. Um, what was the human experience? What was the intent? And 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 that's what I try to bring here. So um while the book uh, talks a lot about gender and race and empire, I try to talk about the everyday experiences of these teachers and then the people that they were impacting. Um, wow, thank you so very, very much. And throughout today's broadcast, we're gonna, you're gonna see in the tickler scrolling across uh, the bottom, we have opportunities to continue to learn. Um, of course, there's gonna be an opportunity as well, information. How do, you, how do you get this book? This book belongs in all of our homes as we use this time of great disruption, perhaps to dismantle that which needs to be dismantled, but then what do we put in its place? And we want to elevate, we want to go on to a better normal. So here, and of course, this is also where you can get Elizabeth's book, Elizabeth's book. So this is very, Dr. Elizabeth's book, and this is very important. So next, I'm going to um, introduce our next guest, Miss Claire Garland. So my goodness, I, I know Claire from wonderful uh, social opportunities and as a wonderful friend and always the person who has some of the most interesting conversation at any gathering where we see her lovely continents and feel her fantastic presence. However, she is quite weighted in academe. She has a Master of Education, graduate education from Rutgers University. She sits on the New Jersey Commission on American Indian Affairs as a resource person. She has also been awarded by the New Jersey Historical um, Commission for her work in history and in indigenous cultures. She is the uh, New Jersey co-chair of Year of, of Indigenous People and Culture. And she has been presented with the Friend of Education Award, Monmouth County Education Association. So I'd like to welcome Claire to today's panel. And perhaps you could talk a little bit about uh your work, and I know when you, you were sharing with us about the history and how a lot of people uh, don't understand that other part of George Washington, the first president of the United States, and how this fed into the creation of the U.S. imperial education system. And it was actually part of um, a genocidal plot, if you will, to, to suppress, minimize, reduce the impact of indigenous peoples, not just here on the East Coast, but all across the United States, particularly the West. So welcome, Claire. Thank you. Uh, my work started uh, years ago with a historical writing grant. I was trying to find out everything I could about my grandmother's family. 
um, part Cherokee that migrated here in the late 1700s from uh, Georgia. And uh, the research led me in all different directions. And I discovered so many things about our nation's founding, and especially even before it was the United States, um, that it was, it, it just lets you know how much you never learned actually in school. And, and a lot of what you learned was myth and inaccurate and glossed over and whitewashed and not, not the real story. Um, so much of the, um, writings now are, um, more accurate and it's encouraging. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that, um, you're able to publicize this conference, the two day New Jersey historical commission conference in November. And I hope everyone can participate because it's filled with, um, two full days of panel presentations, uh, with, by people all over the nation. And, um, it's encouraging to see this much work being done in colleges and universities and the word being uh, spread and the accuracy of uh, education being improved. Um, elementary school, I think, is a different story because of the burden that teachers have on that level of just the basics of education. But I think as people grow and learn and advance in school, the opportunities are becoming more prevalent. So my people uh, settled here in um, the 1700s from, from uh, the Cherokee Nation, which had been allied with England. And as the treaties fell apart and the uh, French and Indian Wars tore everything up, they migrated to Canada. They didn't make it to Canada, though. They stopped here in New Jersey. And... Um, married uh, Lenape people here, Lenape people, and merged into um, communities. So the, the first myth is that everybody moved away, and everybody didn't move away. People had their little pockets of communities all over Monmouth County and New Jersey, plus uh, these um, these towns and farmers and communities needed workers, just like they do now. So there was an encouragement for people to stay and um, get involved in building uh, the towns that were growing. Uh, my family's records go back to 1780 on the tax rolls of Shrewsbury, 1780, which is nine years before George Washington became was inaugurated as president. So they didn't all move away, and we're still here. So... Um, Thank you for including me today and uh, glad to be a part of the program. Absolutely. And do you do you have that book about George Washington handy, perhaps our audience? I know we have some history buffs that are, are watching and hold that up. It's called The Indian World of George Washington. And who's the author? Colin G. Calloway. Calloway. Colin G. Calloway. Again, a, a lot of what we didn't learn 
about history is so important. I know as a, as a young child, I always kind of hmm, questioned, you know, is, is, is the big thing that we learned was about, you know, Thanksgiving and that, you know, the Native Americans in this area, you know, taught the, the, the British, you know, colonizers and welcome them and, you know, around this Thanksgiving feast. And I always felt there was a lot more to the story than that. And like yourself, um, my Native American heritage is also Cherokee, but from South Carolina and those Gullah Seacoast Islands. And that's a whole nother history lesson and a whole other story about, you know, the community between members of the Cherokee Nation and the um, then enslaved Africans that were living off of those Georgia Seacoast Islands. And then my grandmother, part of the Great Migration from the South to the North. And here we are. We're in New Jersey. So, you know, we are here and we haven't been disappeared as, but, you know, in, a, in an odd way, because of the retelling of history and leaving so much of the story out, there's been those great attempts to have it disappear. Well, we're showing up, we're claiming it, we're, this is an opportunity to tell the story again. So thank you, Claire, and thank you for your work. So listen, y'all, I'm going to introduce the next guest, and she's going to share about, you've seen, you all have seen Dr. Kathy many times on this show. You know, again, she's a multifaceted person. Dr. Kathy, like myself, board certified in family medicine, integrative medicine. She's now the associate clinical director of the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. We both serve as faculty and supervisors with the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. Our Thelma and Louise journey began in 2010 when um, I first met her as a participant in a course uh, that Center for Mind-Body Medicine offers called Food as Medicine. And she was sitting up there in the faculty. And I just remember wanting to talk to those people in that front row and hear their story. So let's welcome Dr. Kathy. And she is going to talk to us about the work that she has been doing that has been impactful on her personally and what she's doing with the Native American community. Thank you, Dr. Carroll. And I really like what you said about, you know, want to hear their stories. And I think for me, it is always learning people's stories. And as a white American, I have had to um, come to the understanding and realization always of that history that I did not learn, that I didn't have to learn because of the color of my skin. However, I I chosen to learn as you know bits and pieces that I that I hear and, um, and certainly through the Center for Mind Body Medicine have been able to go to a number of places and I think one of the most impactful places and the places that I that I hold really dear to my heart is when we were invited to um, and I met when I met Edwina and many other folks uh, on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation and it was something for me uh, I grew up in Minnesota I grew up on Dakota land and um, my family farmed it. Um, and I didn't even realize, I really did not realize that history until many years as an adult. And, and it was very impactful to actually, you know, to be able to get in my car and drive to land in which folks were, you know, put on reservations, you know, and to really hear those stories. 
And for me, just acknowledging that and feeling like it is my responsibility to bring that forward, to understand it as best I can for myself and to bring that forward is really what I feel um, gives me purpose. Well, we are so glad that you are are here. And one of the things, um, again, in, 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 you know, doing this work, you and I have had a particular approach with our, and again, you know, we're grateful to the Center for Mind-Body Medicine for teaching us a system, a way that we can approach this work. And you and I have taken that deeper dive into the, actually what's happening in the brain and in the nervous system. And we incorporate that particularly when topics like this, which are uncomfortable, it's, it's, it's very hard. It's hard to hear. Okay. The father of our nation did some really inhumane things. It's hard for people to hear that and accept that, you know, you're, you're going on sacred ground. The shoulders start to go up under the ears. It's hard to hear that. Wow. You know, you mean these folk, they aren't disappeared. They have feelings, they have ideas, they have agency, and they, they want those stories shared. And so again, you know, that tension. So talk a little bit about, you know, the epigenetics and talk a little bit about the fact that when, when we look at what happens through the U.S. imperial education system and how it's been passed down intergenerationally and there's been the presence of, of trauma and what we can do to maybe dispel that a little bit. I know that's a lot, but take any, any part of that that you'd like to. Right. And, um, and I also can't wait to hear from Edwina as well. Um, so I do believe that for me, always coming back into this, when we did our intro, I, I talked about coming back to the breath. So when I do feel those shoulders coming up and such, for me, even as I'm sitting here, I'm feeling my belly breathing as I, I as there may be some co- topics that are uncomfortable or what do I say and who am I to even say it? Um, and it has been really helpful to learn, um, as many on the panel know, about what really happens in the brain, what happens really in our DNA, you know, no matter what DNA it is that we carry, that that there's imprints of trauma, historical trauma, what happens to many people, and some of it is um, physical trauma, and there's also the trauma of taking away language. There's the trauma of taking away um, foods, indigenous foods that um, one's body is used to eating, for example, you know, in the case of uh, our Native American relatives, taking away the buffalo and and replacing it with what we know is, you know, modern standard American diet, which is really horrible for us. And knowing that all of those types of choice, many of those things are not choices uh, for people and that it really impacts through epigenetics, you know, through the protein layer that layers on top of our DNA that turns genes on and off for things like diabetes, but also for resilience. So I think it's both and. I think that's enough for me right now. Um, Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And we welcome uh, two first-time viewers, uh, my dear friend, Lynn McLaughlin, and also Annie Adams Garland. So welcome. We're so glad that you're able to join us this morning. So I'm going to introduce our dear relative, Edwina. 
Ah, so yes, our dear relative Edwina is a colleague of both Dr. Kathy and I through the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. And we first met a few months ago as part of the work that we do nationally in one of our trainings. So our dear relative Edwina is Lakota. Her Lakota Indian name is Kia Kia Win, Rattling Woman. That name was given to her to carry on her relative's honor, who was her great-great-grandmother, the original landowner, landowner allotment. In her experience, she is with Project Aware, SAMHSA, coordinator of culturally informed trauma-informed schools on the Pine Ridge Reservation, which is where she and Dr. Kathy met. And the name of the school is the Little Wounded School. Uh, she has been very much involved in school-based mental health, therapeutic mental health counseling, also at the Little Wound School. She has been involved in administration for Native Americans, youth suicide grant on the Pine Ridge Reservation. Uh, she's the coordinator for seven tribal schools at the L Little Wound School Center for Mind-Body Medicine. And her key responsibility, she says, and I quote, my greatest contribution to my relatives of the Oglala Sioux Tribe is to be a resource through self-care, resilience, and hope. So we welcome our relative Edwina, whose I believe it was her grandfather that attended the Carlisle boarding school that um, Dr. Elizabeth writes about in her book, Teaching Empire. And Edwina has such a, a rich legacy and so many wonderful stories to share. And we're going to welcome her and sit back and learn about her, her grandfather, and what she learned about his experience at the Carlisle School. Welcome, Edwina. Good morning, Dr. Carol, Dr. Kathy, Dr. Elizabeth, and Claire, my beautiful relatives. It is just so humbling to be able to represent on this live um, my ancestors, more importantly, and my relatives today. Um, and I um, struggle within myself to um, find the words for what I feel would capture the audience attention and how the um, overall impact of imperial education has played a major role in our lives. And so um, I'm a mother of um, one son. I have um, seven sisters and four brothers. And so there's 13 of us in our family. And um, I come from a long line of um, ancestral ways. So um, one of the most important things that um, I have a responsibility is to carry those ancestral teachings on in the practicing of traditional ceremonies and um, to um, understand how um, important it is that my relatives had all the 
whatever they had to do to take um, those practices underground so that they can still be here today for um, our children. And so um, my great, my grandfather's father, which would be my great grandfather, he was the first member of uh, my family that was in Carlisle. And then my, then his children, which was my grandfather and um, my grandma, Fire Thunders, they were sisters and they were all a part of um, Carlisle. And it's just really interesting that um, the boarding school era trickled down to my father and my mother. And then I too am a product of um, boarding school and um, me and my sister attended uh, Episcopalian school on the banks of the Nibrera River in um, Springfield, South Dakota, and it was called St. Mary's. And it was very much Christian um, oriented and very disciplinarian. And so um, I think in um, what is so important for me to um, share is that um, my relatives that I was in school with, my parents, my grandparents, that in spite of um, our challenges, that we still were able to um, maintain our um, traditional ceremonies and practice them and um, to be relatives to each other because we were all struggling in that sense of being in school. And I think it's important to know that um, both of my parents are fluent um, Lakota speakers, mm. but because of their um, teachings in the boarding schools and them wanting to protect us, that part um, wasn't formalized in our upbringing. So um, we've kind of learned like choppy um, the language, you know, and so we're practicing and getting better. But so I just think I just know that um, what made it possible for us today were those same practices that our grandparents had to um, endure um, while they were being um, assimilated that um they knew that there were still things, still the traditions that they had to carry on in spite of the fact that they may have endured um, their mind, body, and spirit um, struggling to understand what was happening to them. And um, so with that, I just wanna thank everybody and I'm really humbled to be here and, um, and as I'm ending my introduction, it's really important for me to acknowledge um, some really strong um, indigenous matriarchs. And um, one of them is Dr. Maria Braveheart Jordan. She's a founder of historical trauma and also Dr. Ruby Gibson from the Freedom Lodge, who is the trainer for um, the historical trauma masters specialist class 
And then last and not least, Faith Spotted Eagle, who's a, a matriarch and a traditionalist in carrying on and practicing our um, indigenous ceremonies. And um, she is a traditionalist um, in the fact that she, she um, leads a society, an indigenous women's society called the Braveheart Society. So thank you all. And I'm glad to be a part of, part of this presentation here today. Well, thank you so much for your voice, our dear relative Edwina. So I'm just going to put a, a question to the panel. I already feel like just in hearing the introductions and the sharing of the bios, I've learned so much. You know, this, this is the forming of a new community. There's something new being born in the world right now as we are connecting. And it is, um, oh my goodness. So one of the audience members is saying, thank you for your testimony, dear sister friend, Linda Parker Edwards. And welcome uh, Martha to the show this morning as well. When, when we know that this has had a downstream impact. So, you know, while the Carlisle School might have closed its doors in 1918, there's still a system of education that's alive today that's on the reservations. And we know these schools are underfunded, that they don't have, um, they're not equal to, to other public schools and institutions across the United States. And so it's still, it's still being uh, perpetuated. And again, as uh, Dr. Elizabeth was sharing, you know, the teachers, you know, they, they, many of them believed wholeheartedly in the righteousness of what they are doing. And there, that's, that's still present. We see lots of unequal education, uh, in many, many places in schools. Again, you always say, you know, what's your zip code? Your zip code determines your educational quality, your property values, and literally how long you can live in this country. But with all that being said, I want to know, is there a solution? So going forward, moving forward, I'm going to ask each panelist if you could share what are the things that you would like to see coming into place that are hopeful that, 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 you know, there's a lot of cracks in this system. So where's the light getting through? I know for me, it's bringing in this awareness, having discussions like this, finding people in my community that are like-minded that are saying, yep, I'm ready to pick up my oar and row as an initial step. So again, I thank all the panel for picking up your oar and rowing and bringing this discussion forward. And of course, to our audience, if you have any questions, please put them in the chat and uh, your comments. So why don't we start and we'll go around. Um, Claire, what would you like to see coming forward? Well, uh, if we look back over decades, I, I think the whole um, movement has progressed from the time I was in school when there, there was no uh, multicultural understanding or um, even awareness, uh, having textbooks for, for uh, my whole lifetime that never had a brown face in them anywhere, reading or anything else, literature. So you grow up thinking that um, your, your people don't matter. 
don't uh, don't exist. So the big push for proper uh, textbooks in school, I think, has helped tremendously. And um, that's no longer the case where people are isolated and and, uh, kept out of uh, information. Um, I I think the efforts of redlining uh, communities, uh, that has been attacked in a number of places. Banks aren't allowed to get get away with um, excluding people as as they did in the past as much. Um, Also, the uh, efforts to include different affordable housing solutions um, across the nation, making uh, uh, making housing more available to all different incomes. So that helps people be able to move to more affordable places and go to school systems that might be uh, more equipped. Um, the government has just... Uh, um, put in billions of dollars to Native nations in the West to help improve their uh, living standards and education and water supplies and all of that. And things like this, um, you know, it takes decades to see the difference. But I think steps are being made. And, of course, the Secretary of, of the Interior now is, an, is a Native person with... Um, the interest of her pe- people. Um, what's her name? Haglin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so it's small steps, but it is steps. It's it's a little bit of progress um, over a long period of time makes a big difference. Oh, thank you so for your reflections. We actually have two questions, so I'm going to so hold the thought. Hopefully, we'll be able to get everybody to answer that question, but from Victoria. So I have a flood of emotions hearing Edwina speak. Please help me understand this clearly. The land was forcibly taken, and the boarding schools were created to whitewash the indigenous people. And again, anyone can answer that. Edwina, would you like to speak to that? Um, I can share just um, some, I think. So um, it's important to understand that um, federal Indian policy played a major role in um, not only dismantling um, who we were as a people, but what... um, the land and the boarding schools were all a part of that federal Indian policy that um, were an attempt to assimilate the indigenous people to be um, I just like um, I emotion just struck me. It was an, an attempt to um, uh, um for us to be something that they wanted us to be. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that whenever I talk about, um, and as I'm learning more about um, the federal Indian policy and the impact that it had on everything, um, every part of um, our indigenous nations, 
the one thing that I have to remind myself is that um, the um, they can only do to us what was already done to them. And so when I say that statement, I ha I'm looking at it not from a victim standpoint, but more from a place of seeing that um, there was trauma within them in order for that to be, for, in order for those acts to happen to us in whatever way and from all, all levels from governmental to um, personal, you know, all those levels. But I think that, um, um, that as we um, look at the attempt to annihilate the indigenous people, that um, there's so many different um, factors that we could share of um, the um, damages that were done, the suffering that, you know, all that. But I think that um, in the position that I'm in, in my everyday life, is that what I want to teach the children is that um, the strengths and that, um, and I will use whatever tactic that I can. So like, even though in my project, we discuss ACEs, the um, Adverse Childhood Experience Survey, we also do the PACES. And PACES is the positive um, childhood experiences too. And so what we're attempting to create because of this, that whole system of um, assimilation, annihilation, genocide, whatever you want to put, label it as, what today our challenge is to also remind them of those epigenetics and that DNA and that positive that was passed down to us. Yes. Because we are so, so strong to be able to um, own what our ancestors went through. So that's what I'll share with that part. Thank you. The beautiful, well said, well said. I, I, I always like to remind people who are in marginalized communities, strength, great strength was passed down. That's why you're standing here because you are a survivor and you are passing those stories also forward to future generations, the ability to survive and to make a way out of no way. Claire, it looked like you were leaning forward. Are you ready to speak? Yeah, I just wanted to add that... Um... Native Americans were, were made, were granted citizenship in 1924. So it really hasn't even been a hundred years that they've considered them um, citizens of this nation. And also the census history of counting people and allowing people to self-identify. Um, it's just been the last couple of censuses um, that people have been able to identify themselves as Native American. And um, there was a big problem in not the census, but the last one with the Hispanic people, because some some of them don't uh, identify themselves as white Americans or black Americans. And yet the census uh, bureau was forcing them 
into categories that they, they didn't feel a part of either. So they finally realized that they had missed um, um, 10 million people or so and realized they had to get more categories on the uh, census forms to, if they're going to try to put people in boxes, well, you got to have more boxes. So um, slowly catching up. Slowly but surely. So here we have another question here, and I'm going to acknowledge we're going to run about five minutes over. This is too important to cut off. Are there any imperial boarding schools still open? So, yes, um, and I'll speak a little bit, but of course, uh, we'll let Edwina or whomever speak to this as well. Um, yes, there are still boarding schools, uh, Native American boarding schools, but the charge of them, their mission has changed. And I, I don't know that I'm a historian, so I know more about the past. I'm, I am a historian so that I can understand the present. That's why I do the work that I do. Um, and so, yes, there are the end of the book talks a little bit about it looks at what the current mission statement of of uh, one of a current Native American school is and how now it really is to build up the Native American heritage, to recognize the diversity, to celebrate the language, to uh, to see the resilience of the communities. Um, and so the mission is on its head. Now, whether that works in practice, I'm not sure. But even within the last decade, when I looked at some of the applications uh, that people had to, to uh, apply, that the children, the families, even the applications have changed, going increasingly towards acknowledging people's heritage and celebrating heritage. Um, so that's, I, I did want to add one thing um, regarding the earlier question of of resilience and hopefulness. Um, and I think, you know, what gives me hope in doing this work uh, is hearing the voices, is knowing that Native communities, despite hundreds of years of attempts of genocide, through warfare, through disease, etc., cetera, uh, Native peoples not only are still here, uh, but they're still fighting and thriving and sharing their knowledge uh, Withstanding the strength that you said, Dr. Carroll, is ex exactly you hit that you you know you you hit that right on. So, um, thank you, thank you, Dr. Kathy. What gives you hope? What are you looking forward to in this discussion? Um, well, I won't, is it okay if I speak to the boarding schools first? Absolutely, please. That's, that's part of what does give me hope, and Edwina can say this as well. But there are definitely uh, boarding schools and the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. In fact, one of our co-faculty at the Center for Mind, Body, uh, Medicine, Ali Badhart Bull, has worked in the Pine Ridge boarding school. Uh, the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in particular is very big. And so for children, they have to, they have to travel on the bus so, so long and so far. And um, so the, certainly the staff there in particular uh, it really feels like a, a loving place, uh, like a place where children are nurtured. Um, so I really wanted to speak to that. And actually that does give me hope. Uh, it does give me hope that um, there are people that, you know, that love our children and can um, really be there for them. And um, so I just feel like um, I want to be one of the people that help support those people, so to speak. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So, 
So, you know, there we have it. We, we're all here together, one, because we're hopeful, one, because we're expanding our consciousness. We're creating new relations uh, amongst the five of us and amongst our audience. And this has a ripple effect, ripple effect. So we have Dr. Andrea Jeffress has joined us, one of our nation's preeminent OB-GYNs. Of course, Dr. Uh, I always call her Dr. Victoria. She has so much knowledge in the field of occupational health. And we have Miss Carla Lounsbury, an important book uh, to read about current indigenous people's issues as they're there by Tommy Orange. So again, teachable moments, information sharing. So I, I'm going to continue to share information. Also, I'd like to invite any of you. It's open on Thursday. I'm doing a day-long oasis. We're doing Mindset um, Shift. It's part of another conference, but it's open to anybody. Um, DM is going to drop that in the chat or a link or something for us so that if you want to spend the day centering yourself, expanding your mind, getting refreshed and renewed. We're going to do these practices of breath and meditation. We're going to talk about practical things about sleep and nutrition, and you're going to come away with a lot of information of, you know, again, how do you nation build? How do you community build? How do you connect with other people? And uh, certainly all of my relations in this panel and in the listening audience are invited. So I'll be very grateful for DM to share that information about um, the October 7th. All right. And so from Victoria, sadly, the educational system has created a lot of deep-seated misinformation. But what gives me hope is the collective fight to bring change regardless of all the dying noise being made. Change is coming no matter what, no matter what. Yes, change is coming no matter what. In many ways, change is here because we're saying, no, we're not going back to whatever the, the old way was. We're moving forward. So here, if you want to take a screenshot for this, you can join me on Thursday. It's all day, you know, nine to six, chock full of information and the it's the experiential that actually begins to shape our biology and rewire our neurocircuitry so it's going to be chock full of um, opportunities like that so listen it is already it is time to sign off we did it i'm going to ask this beautiful panel to meet me backstage in the green room as we get ready to sign off and don't forget, mark your calendars, tune in next Sunday where Dr. Erica Goodwin, we are going to take a deeper dive, just, you know, really building on this theme of the a new mental health system that we need to build because, of course, we saw the wheels come off of our mental health system, which had a lot of holes in it. So Dr. Eric and I, we're going to create a new mental health system that, again, for improvement to move forward. And that'll be next Sunday, same time. And Linda is saying a very hearty thank you panel, very informative and blessings and blessings. So I'm going to invite Kenny Brazil Hamilton to play us off. And we will see everybody next Sunday again. Thank you so much to this incredible panel. You all were amazing, amazing. Thank you for opening my eyes and my heart. All right.
Weightless, weightless. No matter what people say, you're full of greatness. Greatness. Time you opened up your eyes, you were courageous. If only they could see you going through your paces. It's amazing. Wait.